I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for this morning, which is 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. Here's what it says. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker. It doesn't need to be ashamed. Correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. And their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and ruin in the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come humbly into your presence this morning asking that you would uh, revive us, Lord, by the power of your spirit. And that you would come and that you would do only what you could do, Lord God. And that is give us life according to your word. Open our eyes to see that you're here, you're real, this is all true. And that we desperately need you. We all come, uh, as, we said, as we just sang, empty-handed to the God who needs nothing and who gives us everything. Lord, so help us now in, in, in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you are uh, new with us this morning, we are in a series uh, of sermons on the book of 2 Timothy, right, which we have titled Vintage, right, Season Words uh, to the Church. The Apostle Paul is writing this book to uh, Timothy, and he is a very seasoned pastor at this point. He had been in the ministry for 30 years. He found himself in jail for, for preaching about Jesus under uh, the Roman Emperor Nero, and he's writing to Timothy, this young pastor who he mentored and was a friend of his, and he's trying to encourage him. And so far in this letter, as we've been working through from chapter 1, Timothy's been the focus. But now he turns and he says, I don't want you to uh, focus on the church, the church that you're pastoring, Timothy. And uh, Paul is reminding Timothy to instruct the church. So he, he says here, tell them to do this. I want you to tell them to do this. And what is the first thing that Paul says, all right, this is what I want the church to do. Here's what it is. Don't argue over words. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> and why is that? Why, why would that be the first thing he says? Don't argue over words. And here's why. Because people like to talk. People like to talk, right? That's, a, that's what I want us to focus on here for, for a minute. That's the first thing, literally, right out the gates that he says here. Uh, look at verse 14. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. And I think we can relate to that, right? Because, listen, there are a lot of opinions. People have a lot of opinions. Everyone's got something to say. There's all kinds of talk out there in the world and, and even uh, uh, amongst God's people. You guys remember uh, way back in the day how word used to spread? I mean, how, how, would, how did you get a message to somebody? You had to send it by horseback. You had to get on your horse and, yeah, and go on down the road and, uh, or the path, you know what I mean? That's how you send a message. Or uh, you lit a beacon. If you wanted your, your neighbors to come over for dinner, you had to send a smoke signal or light a beacon uh, on the hill or something. 
or they sent messages by pigeon. Remember that? People sent messages by pigeon, and no lie, no lie. There's a thing called pigeongram where you can send someone hate mail uh, by a pigeon. I'm just kidding. They don't. You don't send them hate mail, but uh, you can send somebody a message priority mail with UP, USPS tracking for $19 by pigeon. People still do that. Um, think back to when uh, the first TV that you ever had, and now think about the TV that you have now. All right, and how that's that's changed. All right, I, the first TV I ever had was about yay big. It was black and white, and it had dials on it. It was like click click click. You had to get up and click click click. It had a uh, it had a, a coat hanger uh, as an antenna, and I lived up a holler in uh, southern West Virginia. That's some that's some real West Virginia stuff right there, black and white. Um, but there's just a lot of words on on TV. There's a lot of information, a lot of hot air. Can you imagine your life without the internet? I can literally take a picture of a check with my phone and somehow the check goes through the internet to my bank, which I don't even know where my bank's at, right? And then I can take my phone and pay for whatever I want with my phone. I think we are so entangled in, in the web of, of the internet. We, we just couldn't imagine um, life without it. Now think about this, smartphones became popular in 2012. That's not very long ago, that's only 10 years ago. And think about all the talk that you hear on your phone, all the words and information. Um, I think literally you could get on YouTube right now and if you had enough money and enough food, you would never have to leave your house. Right? You could just go down the YouTube rabbit hole and just never come back. There, there's just all kinds of words. Uh, social media, there's our shorts and reels and stories and TikTok and all this stuff really is evidence of the a collapse of Western civilization, but we'll just keep moving for now. Oh, there's a lot of words out there, right? And then there's a uh, small town gossip. All right, that's just a part of life in a small town. And, and, and you know, that can be used for good, right? That message, uh, a word will travel via people. If it's a positive message, if it's an encouraging message, if it's a true message, that can be a wonderful opportunity that we can uh, seize upon. Uh, but here's what gossip is. Gossip is saying things about people or, or a group, right, that hurts and doesn't help. It doesn't help those people. It actually um, hurts them and um, doesn't um, lead them into anything good. So in case you don't know, we painted uh, the outside of our building. We've got three sides of it painted right now. And you would not believe the amount of encouraging words <laughs> that I've heard about that, right? And this stuff gets back to me because we, we, uh, we live in a small town. No lie, over the past couple weeks, there's been two community forums on Facebook uh, started about this. And, and uh, I think they had to shut down the comment section because there were so many wonderful things uh, that people were saying and all the wonderful advice that they had about that. Um, this is the best one, though, that I saw. Um, I probably shouldn't even looked at it, but anyway. Uh, someone put on uh, one of these community forums, they don't understand fine art. <laughs> and the, the, the response that someone put was, they literally have an art gallery in the front of the building. So, anyway. Uh, here's the deal. It's just paint. Listen, if we don't like it in a couple years, we'll change it, right? And here's what we believe as a church. 
people over paint. Right? People are more important than paint. It doesn't matter what color we paint the building. We're going to love one another and serve one another. But my point is people got something to say. People like to talk. And let me ask you a question. As you think about all this, all the TV and all the social media, right, and all the YouTube and all the news and all this and all that, what is the result of all that? What is the result of those community forums? The result is a whole lot of trouble, a lot of anxiety, and I could, I could go on and on and on with the, the, the statistics about this. Depression, suicide, a whole lot of talk leads a whole lot of division, anger, slander, shaming, and, and the pressure cooker of our society. Does it feel like that to you or not, or is it just me? That feels like we live in a pressure cooker, and not like um, the Instapot pressure cooker, the dangerous kind, where it had the little thing on top, and it go, right? Uh, that one, where you thought it was going to explode. And um, why is that? Why does it, why does it feel um, like that? Is it just the amount of words that is going on? Is it just the amount of information available at our fingertips? Well, let's look at uh, 2 Timothy 2.16. Look at 2 Timothy 2.16. It says, avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. Right? You see, the problem is not the amount of words. Right? It's the problem is with the words themselves. The problem is with irreverent and empty talk. All right, so what is that? Here's what it is. It is words or talk that makes sin seem normal or godliness seem strange. That when, when whatever the Bible teaches, whatever the truth is, whenever that is spoken about, it's like, it's like an awkward moment. It's like a, a record stop. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, during the Super Bowl, uh, there were some commercials about Jesus. And uh, they, uh, there's a little tagline they had, he gets us, right? And the best one I thought they had was they showed all these images of uh, people at riots and protests, and there were various groups that were having an engagement, and you could tell they were angry at one another. They were laying hands on one another. They were being violent, right? And here's, here's what the, the video uh, said. Jesus loved the people that we hate, right? And that's true. Jesus loves everybody, and he died for his enemies to make them his friends. Jesus loves the people that people hate. And, but most of the talk out there fuels this hatred. Am I right? And this is, according to the scriptures, empty talk. It doesn't produce the life that, uh, that God has for us. And this passage actually gives us two specific examples of that. It gives us an example of that. Look at verses uh, 17 and 18. It says their teaching was spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. Paul's name and names again. It's messed up. Uh, they had departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Do you see that? Paul's saying, all right, there were two guys who were saying that the resurrection had already taken place. Okay? Let me break this down for you. Here's the Christian teaching on the resurrection. First of all, Jesus died on the cross, was buried, but he rose from the dead bodily. That is physically. That is the man got up, walked out the grave, and had lunch with people. Stuff like that. And you could have touched him. All right? And then he rose, and then he ascended into heaven, and now he sits on the world's throne doing whatever he pleases. And because of that, those who believe in him are resurrected spiritually. That is, 
we got a whole new life. That is, we don't, we don't do the things that we used to do. We have a whole new desires, and we want to follow him. We want to believe in him. We want to obey him. And Jesus promised to return again one day bodily with his resurrected body. And when he comes, he's going to resurrect the entire world. That is, no more sin, no more death, no more hatred, no more shame, none of that. Right? So what seems to be going on uh, in, in this case, when Paul is naming names and saying these guys already uh, said the resurrection had taken place, was they believed in some type of private spirituality. They believed that Jesus had resurrected in their hearts. They had a little Jesus uh, in their hearts, but they didn't believe in the big Jesus on the throne who gets the bosses around for our own good. Right? And, and here's what I want us to pay attention to. Our text this morning says, for the church to stop arguing about personal opinions. That's the whole point, right? Don't argue about personal opinions. Listen to all this empty talk. Avoid it altogether, right? And see, this error that um, Paul is trying to address, this private spirituality where I have my personal Jesus, just me and Jesus, and, and no one can check me, right, is so common and so dangerous. And this isn't something new, right? This is a perennial issue, and Paul names names. Do you see that? This is in the Bible. Paul says, these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they don't understand what it's all about. They've departed from the truth. Don't be like them. So, I'm going to give you two examples from my own life, names excluded, but here's the deal. The Lord knows who they are. The Lord knows who these people are. One time I was, I was leading a discussion uh, with, with a group of men, and uh, we were going through... Uh, a book by an author, uh, and it was, the book that he wrote was 600 pages, all right? And uh, this guy had gotten his PhD from um, Cambridge in theology, so I think he thought about what he was writing about, you know, he did his homework. But we were reading like the blog post version of this book, he had a condensed version of the book. It was, it was very small. So as we moved toward the end of the book, uh, uh, one guy said, it's about time it's about a personal relationship with Jesus. And I was so shocked by just the arrogance of that comment, right? But it's exactly the empty talk that is being, uh, that Paul is addressing here. He had a private Jesus, a personal Jesus, right? Not the resurrected Jesus who is Lord over all of reality, right? And Lord over everything. And I sat back and I thought to myself, that is true. Christianity is about a personal relationship with Jesus, but... What Jesus are we talking about here? And what's the relationship for? What do I have this relationship for? Is it to do whatever I want? Right? No, our relationship with Jesus is a resurrected relationship. That is, we are raised to new life, to walk in a whole new life, to walk in obedience and, and, and trust in him, and to display the power of his resurrection in every area of our lives, in every detail of our lives. So, this means that our primary allegiance is to Jesus as Lord and nobody else and nothing else, right? But this guy's primary allegiance was to his family first. He had his private Jesus in his little heart, right? And he put that above the throne of Christ. So he was too scared to stand up when they were wrong. He took sides with his family and friends when he should have taken sides with Jesus instead. And that's just empty talk, right? 
If you say, yeah, I believe in the resurrected Jesus, I believe it's about a personal relationship with Jesus, but really, when it comes, the rubber meets the road, I listen to my family first. I don't listen to Jesus. That's empty talk. Right? There was a couple one time that uh, wanted to talk because they were, having some, uh, they were having some problems in their relationship. And so we sat down with them and we laid out a plan to work on that. And I want you to know, this is, this is not just like the first time I met these folks or anything like that. This is after a long time, over a year of just being patient and gracious uh, with people. You know, but as we sat down and talked, the gentleman began to go on and on about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, all these experiences about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit, you know, and all these um, weird personal experiences. But as he was talking, the real Holy Spirit was telling me to ask him if he was sleeping with that young lady who was not his wife. And I asked. Sure enough, the Holy Spirit was right, and he was clearly walking in disobedience to Jesus and, and living in sexual immorality. Right? So what it looked like to truly submit to Jesus as Lord over everything is to submit his sexuality to him. Right? And to be filled with the Spirit uh, uh, in that way, keeping his hands off that young lady until he was willing not only to commit his body to her, to commit his entire life uh, to her. This is what the Scriptures clearly teach. Ephesians chapter 5, I'll give you an example. For know and recognize this, that every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and as a, of God. So all that talk about the Holy Spirit was done by a bunch of smoke. Because he didn't really want to obey the Holy Spirit, keep his hands off that young lady and, and, and give his life to her. It was just empty talk. Right? And this is a word for us to take to heart. I know these are serious and heavy and weighty words, but Paul was doing the same thing. Matter of fact, he's going even farther. He's saying, it's those dudes. Right? And here's why, it's so, here, here's why we need to take it to heart. Personal opinions, our little opinions and our, our little pet beliefs and this and that result in godlessness and gangrene, rot. 2 Timothy 2.17, look what it says. And their teaching will spread like gangrene. See that? And gangrene is death in the body where the blood can't flow. And you know what? You can smell that, right? And, and sometimes you can smell it in the church. Maybe you've been a part of a, a church like that, or you've been a part of, of people who say they're Christians, but really, when you smell their life, it's rot. There's all kinds of hype and talk about Jesus, and, you know, all kinds of little Bible facts and, and Bible trivia and things, uh, whatever it is, experiences that they've had, but what is the result in their life? What type of fruit is born out of that, Right? Eventually, you can see the gangrene in people's lives. And listen, this is what Paul says. We want to avoid that. We want to avoid that as Christians. And how can you do that? How can you avoid the empty talk as a believer? Here's what you got to do. You got to cut the truth straight. Okay? So look at 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker it doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. So Paul tells Timothy, this young pastor, right? Listen, as a pastor, people are going to have all kinds of opinions about stuff, about everything. So here's what you do. Tell them not to focus on that and not to argue about opinions, but take them straight to the Bible. You take them straight to the Bible and you take them straight to the heart of the Bible, which is the resurrection of Jesus. 
Right? So in verse 15, uh, the, Paul says that you need to be someone who correctly handles or correctly, uh, what does it say, correctly teaching the word of truth. And that word right there uh, means to cut something straight. Or it can be literally translated to cut straight. So think about it like the bypass they're putting in here in Morgan County. If you go up on Johnson's Mill Road, you can see that they've cut through the, the woods. You can see almost all the way to route thir- from Route 13 over to Route 9. They literally cut down all the trees, right, and they just blazed the path uh, right, through, right through the uh, woods. So to cut the truth straight of the Bible is to understand it clearly and accurately, to teach it clearly and to teach it um, accurately. So if we take the bypass illustration, keep going with that, once we're able to drive on that, we're heading down the bypass, to cut it straight means, all right, I don't get off on any exits, I avoid all shortcuts or any little uh, rabbit trails. All right, but we love shortcuts, don't we? All right, that's, that's upsetting that Myers Road is uh, closed down now. All right, I can't take that shortcut uh, anymore. It's the same thing uh, in life, though. Right? We don't want to get off the, the path. We don't want to stray away from the truth uh, of the scriptures. So, the truth of the Bible, here's the deal, the truth of the Bible cuts right through all opinions, all feelings, ideas, perspectives, talk, words, and that's exactly what Paul did in his ministry. If you look at um, the story where he ended up in Athens, Greece, right, in Acts chapter 17, a- a- Athens, uh, was a cultural hub of the, one of the cultural hubs of the Roman Empire. Very educated people, elites, uh, it was a college uh, town, and he got there and they gave him an opportunity to share his beliefs. And he cut right through all their speculations, right? And in that passage it says that the Athenians loved to speculate and everyone had an opinion. Look at what he says in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, that's the truth. God commands everyone everywhere to turn away from their sins and to turn their life over to Jesus because he's going to ju- Jesus is going to judge the world one day. And it's not going to be based on personal opinion. It's going to be based on his opinion. And what he says trumps everything. And he's provided proof of this because the man got up and walked out of the grave in front of everybody and ascended uh, into heaven. So how can we cut the truth straight? When, when life, there's all these words and all this talk and all this hype. All right, how can we... How can we know what's true? How can we cut the truth? First, we've got to be open to the truth. Are you open to the truth this morning? Is your heart open to the truth? And this goes uh, for you, whether you are here and you say you're a Christian or not. I've met a lot of people who say they're Christians, but when the rubber meets the road, are you open to what the Scriptures uh, really say? Right? And listen, being open to the truth looks like seeking the truth. It looks like seeking it out in your life, pursuing it in your life. Listen, everything that we do as a church is designed to do that. Every time we meet on Sunday morning, we want to preach, teach, sing, celebrate the truth. Every community group, every event, uh, hopefully lots of conversations and dinners and, and things like that. 
is all about seeking the truth and any question you got is on the table. What questions do you have? Your questions are welcome here. It doesn't matter what it is. Right? Jesus is not scared of questions. Um, but being open to the truth is not a one-night stand. It's not a one-and-done. It is a continual thing. It is a continual seeking, a continual pursuing uh, after the truth. Being open to the truth means that you recognize, recognize that Jesus is Lord. Not the little Jesus that we have, personal Jesus, but the Jesus who's on the throne, right, who rules and reigns over all things. Uh, me and my family, we've been watching the show The Chosen. And uh, it's a TV show uh, based on the life of Christ. And uh, one of the most recent episodes was my favorite. This is on the third season now. And uh, they do a good job of showing how the crowds were growing. We're not talking about, you know, Jesus was a real historical person. We're not talking about something that was done in, in, in private, in a closet somewhere. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of people flocking to Jesus and him healing people right in front of people. And then the, the show was about Jesus when the, when the disciples went out on the Sea of Galilee and here he comes in the middle of the storm treading on the waves. And they said, oh my gosh, it's a ghost! And he's walking on the water and he tells the wind and the waves to shut up and calm down and they set their tail down. And you know what the disciples did? They worshipped him as God. What kind of man is this that talks to the wind and talks to the waves and tells them to obey? And see, the resurrection of Jesus is proof of all this. You can't put him back in the grave. The, 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 the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is utterly insurmountable. Are you open to it? Have you ever looked into it? Have you ever looked into the most serious arguments for this? You see, the one who rose is Lord, and that's Jesus. Uh, I have a 2003 Toyota Sequoia, right? And on the side it says, limited, right? And that means it's got all the bells and whistles. So in 2003, what that meant was you get a cigarette ashtray uh, in your, on your back doors, right? You can, you can smoke in the back seat and, you know, put your... So, so my girls use it as a trash can. They put all kinds of uh, stuff down in there, and uh, you find it later on, right? Uh, but here's the deal. When vehicles limited means you get the, the bells and whistles. The Bible says we are limited. And here's what that means. We don't have all the bells and whistles. We are needy people, right? We don't come into this world already possessing all knowledge of all of reality and all of history, and we know everything, right? That's, that's not how it works, right? So being open to the truth means having the attitude of, man, I've got a lot to learn. I've got, I don't know it all. I don't know this book uh, through and through. What in the world? I've got, I need to be taught, right? I need to be instructed and discipled. Show me how to live this thing out. Make it real. Teach. What does it mean? How do I do it, right? Um, people who are open to the truth are open to talking about it and having conversations about it. They don't say, I'm done. I'm done talking about this, right? Or, or it's just all output and no input. Um, I had lunch with someone this past week, and we got onto the topic of Christianity and church and Jesus, and uh, they said, you know what, I've always wanted to have a conversation about this, but I've never felt comfortable. And they asked a ton of questions. You know what, that's being open to the truth. And, and I was talking about a book, 
After the conversation, I went back to work, and they texted me a picture of the book I was talking about, and they started reading it. That's, that, that is being open to the truth right there. Uh, being open to the truth means that when your opinion and the truth meet, and the truth disagrees with your opinion, you change your mind. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you changed your mind? When was the last time you, you changed your mind about something? Huh? My man. People who aren't open to the truth got a lot of questions, but they don't really want answers. You ever met anybody like that? Lots of questions, give them, but, 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 but. Not open to, the, to, to getting real answers about stuff, right? Uh, a pastor friend of mine put it like this recently. These type of people put a question mark where Jesus put a period. Jesus says, all right, here's what you need to do. Here's the way you need to go. And they say, well, did, is that really what you meant, Jesus? And they pray about stuff like this. A, people have a private spirituality. They're constantly praying about something that Jesus said, do it. Get it done. Stop praying and get out there and get it done. Do what I told you to do. Why are you praying about something that I didn't tell you to pray about? I said, go and do it. Right? Here's the here's deal. Bottom line is, anyone who is not open to the truth of the Bible and is not ethically seeking the truth, right, is just a liar. That's what Jesus said. Go look at it in John 8. It's right there. Jesus said, whoever's not open to the truth and, and, and the truth that is in me and found in me is just a liar. I mean, because what is the opposite of the truth? That's a lie. All right, so number one, how can we cut the truth straight? We've got to be open to it. Number two, we have to be diligent in understanding the truth. Look at verse 15 again. Be diligent. To, right there it is. I just want you to see that all of this is right here. This is what the Lord has for us today in this passage. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly handling the word of truth. He's talking about the scriptures, the Bible. So becoming a Christian is like all of a sudden moving to a foreign country. Imagine that. If you've ever been in a foreign country, you step out the plane, that is a shocking experience. Everything is different. All the sounds, smells, what? No English. All the signs are different. People are doing different stuff than you think they ought to do. And that's how it can be as a Christian, right? That's how I felt when I became a Christian. I felt like I stepped into a whole new world, right? All this stuff is new, all these words, right? And, and Jesus is there, and, and it can feel, it can feel um, yeah, like being in a foreign country. And maybe that's how you feel here this morning. Maybe uh, you've been a part of the church your whole life, or you grew up in the church, and you're familiar with um, Christianity, right? And, but maybe you were... Uh, we're a part of a church didn't cut it straight. So what I'm saying to you seems a little foreign. Right? And this can be especially true if folks grow up in the church, right? But it says here that we are to be diligent. Right? Diligence means to do something with intense effort. So we ought to put intense effort into understanding the truth of the Bible. What's in the book, right? It takes a lot of effort and time. Uh, to do that. Just, just think about that bypass for a minute. I mean, how long have they been up there every day? Sunrise, a sundown, cutting down trees, burning them up, moving dirt, digging stuff, putting in pipes, putting in steel, concrete, you know, and just cutting that path uh, right through there. 
making a lot of noise and racket. And uh, that's what it looks like to, to understand the Bible. It takes hard work, right? And we, ought, and we ought to expect that. If you moved into a foreign country, I would expect to be a little bit of work to learn the language at least and the culture. So when we come to this book, it's the mind of God. We ought to expect to be confused, and the problem is not with God. <laughs> the problem is with us. We need to, we need to learn his mind. Right? I was talking with uh, someone this past week, and um, they are a diligent and faithful Bible reader, and they said, man, that's a hard book. Yes. Yes, it is. It takes effort to understand it, sweat. Not only to understand it, but, hey, guess what? We've got to put it, put it to practice in our life. We've got to live it out. Right? And, and that's not always easy. And to share it wisely with others in a way that's humble, in a way that... Um, they can understand it. So let me give you two helpful things to think about as you seek to be diligent uh, to understand the truth of the Bible. The first is this. When we come to this book, right, we owe God. He doesn't owe us. When we come to this book, uh, we don't come thinking, God, you owe me, right? You're uh, indebted to me somehow, right? It's the other way around, actually, that we owe God everything. He gives us everything that we have in our life. Uh, look at this, Romans eleven thirty six. 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. So what does that mean about your life? And if, Take that verse and just throw it over your life. What, if that's true, what does that mean for your heartbeat right now? And your breath? And the fact that you have an ear and a clear mind that you can hear what I'm saying right now? And everything that you have. And all the money, family, house everything. It all came from God. He's given you everything that you have in your life, including your next breath. Right? Uh, it's all a gift. Martin Luther, the great uh, Protestant reformer, on his deathbed, they found a little piece of paper in his coat pocket, and here's what it says. Very simply, we are all beggars. This is true. So when we come before the Bible, when we come before the truth, this is how we ought to come. God, I am a beggar seeking for bread. God, you don't owe me anything. I'm here begging. Everything that I have in my life comes from you as a gift. Lord, that's what we just sang this morning. Empty-handed I come before the king who is in need of nothing. All right? We don't make demands of God. Can you imagine that? We, we don't de demand things from him. He demands things from us. That's, that's the way it works. Second, God shows us mercy. Mercy is this. We don't get what we, we're owed. That's what mercy is. Mercy is God not giving us what we really deserve, which is judgment for our rebellion and, and, and our sin. Ephesians 2, 4, 5 puts it like this. But God, look at this, who is rich in mercy... Because of the great love which we had for us, he made us alive with Christ. You see that resurrection language there? When we come to believe in, he resurrects us spiritually. We want to seek the truth and be open to it, pursue it, and let it marinate all throughout our lives. Even though we were dead spiritually in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. Here's what the Bible says. We are all sinners, just like the dudes that Paul names in our passage. We have departed from the truth. And that's, that word departed is archery terminology. All right, here's what it means. All right, God says the target's right there. Shoot for it. And we said, 
you know, uh, we, we deliberately uh, aim for different targets uh, in our lives on purpose, but God showed us mercy by sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world, the Messiah, the promised King who died for our sins in our place. He's risen from the dead, and it, 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 yeah, He's resurrected. So, bottom line is truth is found in the Bible, which is the word of truth. And what is this word of truth about? It is about this resurrected Lord Jesus. Tell me if you think this is true. That it feels like in our world there's been an earthquake, like a cataclysmic earthquake. Everything is shaking. You don't know what is a firm foundation and where is the truth and who to believe and... and and all this and that, and there's all kinds of conspiracies, and you wonder what's going on, and it feels like there's constantly aftershocks. Something crazy is always happening, right? And it's difficult for people to know, well, where, is, where can I plant my feet? Where is a solid rock and some firm foundations, a solid footing to build my life on? Well, here's one in our passage. It actually says that. All right, verse 19. Look at this. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, even though there's a lot of empty talk out there and there's a lot of words, a lot of confusion, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. And that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. I love that. God has something He's building. And, and what He's building has a solid foundation. And that foundation has an inscription on it. It has something that's chiseled in stone, and here it is. God knows. That is our foundation. Our foundation is the fact that the Lord knows what's going on. Our foundation is, on that inscription is written, everyone who truly calls upon him is not an empty talker. Talking about their little spirituality and their relationship with Jesus. No, they make it happen, and they turn away from wickedness in their life. Right? So... There will be a lot of empty talkers, even amongst us. So Paul says, and those who aren't open to the truth out there in the world, that's what this book says, isn't it? See, the reason that this feels heavy, right, and weighty is because a lot of times uh, church is just about some little feelings and inspiration, right? But Paul is saying, no, this stuff is real. This is what's going to happen, right? And when it happens, when you have empty talkers, and yet a lot of people talking out in the world and a lot of opinions, it can feel like there's no place, solid place to stand. Right? Who are you going to trust? Can we really trust um, the Scriptures? Is Jesus really building His church? And here's our firm foundation. The Lord knows those who are His. That's beautiful. I love that. God knows who's who. God knows what's up. He sees our hearts. He knows those who are empty talkers and those who are, or those who are really seeking the truth out. And here's the, here's the deal. All those who call upon the name of the Lord turn away from sin in their life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever called upon the name of the Lord? Have you called upon the Lord Jesus to save you from your sin? Because that's why he died. And that's why he rose. And all those who do call upon him don't stay put. He loves you right where you are. But here's the deal. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. Right? He wants to help you turn away from wickedness uh, in your life. Are you doing that? Where are you at with this word of truth in your life this morning? 
Are you actively seeking the truth? Are you actively turning away from sin and wickedness in your life? Are you calling upon the name of the Lord on a daily basis? Maybe on a moment-by-moment basis. All right, here's the good news. We can do that now. All right, and that's what we're going to do. We want to call upon uh, the Lord now. We're going to call upon Jesus now. We want to uh, confess our sins now. And we want to turn away from any wickedness uh, there is in our lives uh, right now. And especially we want to do that um, as we come and celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper.